Good morning. I kill you with truth. It's DMAG with your boy, Johnny Love. Russell Wilson's relationship with Jerry Judy is fascinating. Jokic has a bad game. What do you really know about Winnipeg and things I hate by Johnny Love? Plus, what's on the shelf? There's a bunch of new things on the shelf. Plenty to get to, but as I wish, good morning to Johnny Love. I uh, I wish good morning to Johnny Love. Good morning, Johnny Love. Good morning, D-Mac. And we'll I also if, wish good morning to Johnny Love. We'll see if there's any updates with uh, tomorrow, supposedly. <laughs> Sweep, sweeping the leg. We're going to review it. Can we play clips from it, Johnny? Can we play like the, some of the music, or can you we? No, at this point, we might we might be able to. I mean, really? I mean, is anybody? This is know? the most public <laughs> pub this this band has ever seen. So, <laughs> there is a YouTube video of it, right? There's yeah. a video. There's there, a video. It's it, right? actually pretty famous, not famous, but a pretty uh, well known song. It's like eighty thousand views or whatever. Right, but specifically, this is the radio remix and the radio remix vocal up or right. whatever it's right, we'll see what you come up with tomorrow one way or the other if it's nothing it's fine too but we'll see i'll be disappointed if it's literally nothing though if it's just you reading from the wikipedia page i'd rather you be mad at me than disappointed that's what my dad said i want you to yell at me what's the question of the day Question of the day is how important is this chargers game well johnny this game uh, this is it, man. This is it. You is it a must win? It is actually yes. And I I I know must win is used differently than an elimination game. So the the phrase elimination game is it's not sexy. Must win is sexy. But I I literally have had debates over the years, especially with my compatriot Mike Evans, about the first game of the season being a must win game, and it's just it's idiotic. It, it's stupid because it assumes not just that uh, the opponent is inferior and, and you're better, but it also inf infers you can't win other challenging games later in the season. So, um, and I do love Mike. I do. But if I hear another person say one of the first two games is a must-win game of the year, I I'm going to throw up. Um, so because you just say, oh, well, you have no chance to beat the bills on the road, or you have no chance to beat the chiefs or frankly, right now you say, well, you got no chance to beat the lions. So must win doesn't mean an elimination game. It doesn't. I do believe once you get to eight losses that it's practically impossible to make the playoffs. I think in the AFC, if you get to the playoffs this year, playoffs, if you get to the playoffs this year, you got a shot. The problem is, over in the NFC, there's two teams that I think are better than everybody. And I think that's the Eagles. And and most importantly, right now, the hottest team in the NFL is the, the 49ers. <clears throat> I just don't know how the 49ers lose, period. So it might be a moot point. But you got a weird situation like you got the Bills at the Chiefs this week. Huge game. The Bills have the same record as the Broncos right now. Um, you know, don't don't get me wrong. I would take Josh Allen over. Patrick Sertan and Russell Wilson. But, oh, did you say Russell Wilson? What took you so long to say Russell Wilson? Yesterday out there in good old Dove Valley, a couple of observations. First, the weather. Wow. Seriously? Johnny, come on. The weather is freaking awesome. It's amazing. I was on my bike. And I'm looking at Russ out there in the 
and the fading sun at Dove Valley at the uh, field. And that dude is in good shape. The field. The f- I, I know it's got a name, and I'm, I'm forgetting <laughs> the name of the field. So it's uh, healthcare or something. I don't know. Who knows? I, I don't know. I'm sure it's a very, very good field and a very good corporate sponsor. It's escaping me right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's excellent. So I'm looking at Russell Wilson and I'm like, <coughs> you're I'm coughing. And I'm like, maybe I need the health. I'm like, you're in good shape, dude. You're in good shape. You've worked hard. I heard Mike McGlinchey talking about Russell Wilson. Quote, I, I, I can't imagine many guys I'd rather have with the ball in their hands than three at the end of a game. Now, Mike McGlinchey is a little bit of uh, everything's groovy, sunshiny sort of guy. I mean, he's a little bit like that. He's a little bit like the town mayor. We lost Dalton Reisner. We, we, we got ourselves a Mike McGlinchey. There was a time that nobody on the offensive line would ever talk to you. That time is gone. So McGlinchey's saying, you know, the right things about Russell Wilson, but like, who doesn't say the right thing about Russell Wilson? Marvin Mims made a joke about he doesn't throw it to me anyway. And then there's the Judy relationship. The one play that's hard to get over is when the Broncos had a like uh, fourth and one, fourth and two. And, and I think they did score on that drive. So I don't want to be too critical. And Russell Wilson did pick up the first down by scrambling. That's the most important thing. But on that particular play, which broke down, it was it was a, you know, uh, a backyard street play at the end of the day. They did not execute whatever the play was supposed to be. But in that situation, if you go back and look at it, and I've seen the um, all 22. The degree that Jerry Judy is wide open is, I mean, it is staggering. And Sean Payton said there were three or four plays. Holy cow. Holy cow. That they missed out on. Jerry Judy. And let me ask you, Johnny, is 107 passing yards per game from Russell Wilson a lot. Does that sound like a lot? He's averaged 170 passing yards per game last six games. Yikes. <laughs> not, not good. That doesn't sound great, right? Okay. How many catches, total catches, do you think Jerry Judy has in the past six games? Mm, six. Well, 20. So you kind of totally ruined my whole shtick there. 60 is what I meant to say. <laughs> Jerry Judy should touch the ball or at least have six catches a game. He is a first-round draft pick. That is a guy that you're saying is important to us, okay? You've invested a lot. And you know what? He's the one freaking guy on the team at this point. I think Mims could be that other guy. But you invested a first-round draft pick into Jerry Judy, and a lot of times he is wide open. He's a game-breaking type of player. I think he gets frustrated, and I understand why. He's had 20 catches in the last six games. You should have at least 30 catches, 36. I think you should have six catches a game. If Jerry Judy doesn't walk out the door, and I don't think he's had six catches in any of those games. In fact, I know he hasn't. And, you know, it's been difficult just throwing him the football. I mean, it's it's a lot of targets and not no catches over his whole career with the Denver Broncos. Listen, how important is this Chargers game? It's critical. 
because they have the same defensive weaknesses and deficiencies as the Texans. They are going to offer you a lot of opportunities to get the ball down the field. They are. And you've got to take advantage of it. It's not setting Russ up for failure necessarily. But I just don't see a world where Sean Payton changes who he is. I don't. John Fox with Tim Tebow didn't care. He was a defensive-minded guy. And he was just like, hey, what's it going to take to win? Just, uh, I don't know. What's going on out here? Just the skins on the wall. The skins on the wall, baby. Just hand the ball off. Uh. I love Foxy. Foxy's my guy. Love that dude. But he didn't care about the flashy offense. He didn't. It's one of his better traits. He's a great dude. Loved hanging out with him. And he just handed it over to Adam Gase and Mike McCoy. And just do something. And they were just like, well, all right. Like, how do we win? Uh, and, uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, <clears throat> so the, the Chargers game is really a big deal. I think it's a must-win game, although not an elimination game. It's the game against the Lions. You know, I know that sounds shocking, but yeah, okay, you lose to the Chargers. Well, every game's a playoff game after that because you get to eight losses, the season's over. Now, that doesn't mean if you get to eight losses, you stop trying. I mean, there's things to try to accomplish even then in those final three games. But this, my fine feathered friends, at six and six is where the Broncos were years ago with VJ when they were six and six and went on to just suck against the 49ers, where George Kittle had like 200 receiving yards in the first half, and Kyle Shanahan forgot to throw him like one pass in the second half where he would have sent some sort of tight end receiving record. He literally just forgot like a six yard pass would have done the trick and he just didn't do it. Why? Well, because they were, you know, mud stomping the Broncos at that point. What's your favorite mud stomping band, Johnny? Uh, mud stop is this. I would, you know what? I'm going to, I have a good answer for this. Yeah. And it'll pertain to something later. Yeah. My favorite mud stomping band, Green yeah. Day, 1994, Woodstock. Oh, I like where you're going. Mud slinging Green Day. I like where you're going. It's a critically important game. The relationship with Judy and Wilson is odd beyond belief. Judy was asked, or uh, Wilson was asked by Mike Cliss about it. He just, he went on and on and on saying how great Jerry Judy is, but he he just really didn't answer the question. I don't know, man. Um, you gotta you gotta get your head out of your butt, and it's got to be more than just Cortland Sutton. Court's great; he's great, but you gotta look for the most explosive player you have, and that player is Jerry Judy, and he's open somewhere, probably right now. The Denver Nuggets had their maybe their weirdest game of the year. So about a week ago, they go in to play the Clippers without three starters: Ag, Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic, and win. And their two other starters, this was a back-to-back game, their two other starters, KCP and Michael Porter Jr., did not have good games. You got a great game out of Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan, and you beat the Clippers and, and beat them pretty handily. It was an amazing win. Well, last night, they go back to the Clippers because the IST is just over there, 
<clears throat> the in-season tournament and the Nuggets are over here. Because I guess you didn't care about the in-season tournament. I did. I cared. I cared. Anywho, um, Nikola Jokic had maybe his worst basketball game. Like, he had a bad game. Nikola Jokic, even though he had a triple-double, he had 22, 15, and 10. But, Johnny, he was 9 of 32 from the floor. 2 of 7 from 3. And these guys couldn't miss. The Nuggets couldn't miss in the first quarter. They were 8 of 10 from 3 in the first quarter. And then they just collapsed, basically, because Jokic. I mean, 9 of 32. He shoots 56% from the field in general. 9 of 32 is 28%. He was half as effective. So that is at least nine more shots that he should have made. Nine more shots is 18 points. So you should have won this game. They lost 111-102. The final score should have been something like, I don't know, man, 120-111 if you want to put it like that. If Jokic just plays average, not even great. But for 32 shots, and I, I was like, well, why are you still shooting? And it's because, and they were all very makeable Jokic shots. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. It was weird. Michael Malone said it was weird after the game. It was just weird. The Nuggets had beaten the Clippers eight straight times. So I, I guess streaks are, are meant to be broken. But that was weird. Um, they play Houston on Friday. Tonight, the Avalanche hosts the Winnipeg Jets. Johnny, can you tell me anything about Winnipeg? Ooh, um, it's in Manitoba. Very good. It's the capital of Manitoba. There we go. Um, it's freaking cold. What U.S. state is just south of hmm. Winnipeg? Geography. Michigan. That is wrong, Johnny. Wrong. Am I close? Wrong. Are you close? Well, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, yes. You're sort of close because um, it is in the center of Canada. So uh, I see what you're trying to say. Wisconsin? No, it's North Dakota. I was getting there. It's like the northeast quadrant of North Dakota, you go up about uh, an hour or so, you hit Manitoba. It's about it's about two hours from Saskatoon. Now, well, that's Canadian geography, and you got me beat. I don't know. You could be right. I have no idea. I think I know um, as little about the Winnipeg freaking Jets as I know about any hockey team in the world. I don't know one player. I don't know anything about them. Um, I think they got a good record. Correction, it's eight and a half hours between Saskatoon and Winnipeg because Canada is freaking huge. Canada is a big place, Johnny. I'm not going to lie. Canada is a big place. What's that drive between Saskatoon and Winnipeg like? Oh, my God. Well, I've done it three times. The uh, Avs are 16-7-2. They're first in the Central. I don't know anything about Winnipeg. Maybe this is the greatest game ever. Who freaking knows? I don't. Let me look up the standings real quick. Maybe Winnipeg is like a damn good team, and I'm, I'm not paying them their due respect. Hold on a second. Let me check. Winnipeg, are you a damn good team? They're pretty damn good, Johnny. They're pretty damn good. 
They're 14, 8, and 2, 30 points, 24 games. They got a game in hand to the Avs, and they, they're only four points back with the, with the game in hand. Pretty good. On the road, on the road, they're 6, 3, and 1. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty good. Let's not snooze on the following players of the Winnipeg Jets. You know, Mason Appleton, Morgan Barron, David Gustafson, Ramos Kupart, Adam Lorry, Vladislav Namishkakov. I mean, am I blowing you away right now? <laughs> this sounds like a team that plays in Winnipeg. It does that. Hey, Johnny, that's the most Winnipeg thing I've ever heard. They sound, I don't know one of these damn dudes. Do you think one of these guys owns a Tim Hortons? I feel like I've been living in Tim Hortons for the past year. Yeah, yeah. Eh, I gotta lose some weight. All right, so that's tonight. We'll be at the morning skate. We'll check in on that. Um, things I hate featuring Johnny Love before we get to what's on the shelf. Johnny, how did the Powerball do for you? Oof, not great. I got one number. I got one number. Wait a second. You didn't win it? I did not win it. How do you feel it, about not winning the Powerball? Well, I was hoping to not show up this morning, so I am just wait, kidding. Of course I would show up. Exactly. If, wait, if you won the Powerball, you, you would sleep in? If I won the Powerball, I'd be like, you'd probably hear a bunch of expletives out of me, and then I'm out, and then you'd never see me again. How long have we been doing this podcast, you and I here, John? A couple months now, maybe three, yeah, yeah. two and a half, three, yeah. three, one. Three. If you won the Powerball, how much would you give me? Um, I plead the fifth. Wow. <laughs> I'd cut you. I cut you a check for five hundred bucks. I promise I would. Okay. I'll. You know what? I'll do that deal with you. If I win the Powerball, five hundred bucks. Give you five five hundred bucks. So we'll each give each other five hundred bucks <laughs> if we win the Powerball. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to get roped into a Nicolas Cage like Hallmark movie about this, so. I don't want to promise anything. Oh, that's funny. I do want to get roped into a Nicolas Cage Hallmark movie. That's crazy that you do you, don't and I do. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? I, no. I can't remember the name of it. But... No idea. Leaving Las Vegas? No, he, he's a cop in New York, and he meets a waitress, and they get a lottery ticket, and then he and then, then, then he be, then he Then he becomes an alcoholic, and then he moves to Las Vegas, and he I, gets drunk by an empty pool in a motel. I think Rosie Perez is in the movie. By the way, when anybody is really hit the skids, why do they always end up in a motel that just the pool's always empty? The, the, they, the, the motel just, the, they built the pool. The motel built the pool, but decided this is the place for people who are just on down on their luck. So we're going we're gonna to train the pool. Like, why commit to the pool? Why commit to it in the first place if you're not going to take care of it? You know, it's like, hey, hey, uh, how do we uh, open up a, a, a shitty uh, strip motel that's filled with drug addicts, alcoholics, and prostitutes. Oh, I got it. Let's build a pool. I think that's maybe the point, is that you don't really necessarily want to have to keep up with the pool. In that every certain every time I see a movie with the empty pool, and, and but there's always chairs. You ever notice that? There's always lounge chairs, as if they anticipate somebody's going to fill up that pool. You, you know nobody's going to clean or fill up that pool. But yet, one Johnny, big heavy rain, man. You know? Well, maybe, but there's always chairs out there as, as if it's about to happen or it happened at one point. I, I think they just built the pool shitty in the first place and just left it like that. 
and then just threw a couple chairs. But that's the scene. It's always the guy drunk and the beer bottles there and the empty pool. But he's in a lounge chair by the pool and that shitty hotel. Johnny, it's time for what's on the shelf. What's on the shelf? We kind of previewed it. It's a uh, it's uh to your left. It kind of looks like maybe a yearbook, but it's not. It has a little fringe maybe on the top, but uh, can right you explain here? this? What what is this? Is it a box? Okay, there we go. Johnny, what does that say right there? Can you read that? Uh, Woodstock. A uh, Woodstock. Sorry, ninety four. This is a pizza box. From Woodstock '94. Can you see why it kind of looks like Woodstock? Look yeah, at the well, back thing. of course. And then yeah. it's a bunch of like we're eating pizza, but we're talking about rock and roll and whatever. Now this is '94. This is 90- the mud slinging year. Correct, but this is not '99, which is the infamous documentary about how Limp Biscuit set everything on fire and uh, that. That this is not '99. This is '94. This is the Woodstock that kind of went. All right, I guess. And mm. I was in I was in Buffalo and uh, I was working at a rock station. So the whole shtick was sending me to Woodstock. So I went to Woodstock to report for the rock station about Woodstock. And uh I ended up I ended up our rock station was associated with the news talk station, 550 WGR, and there was this reporter, Patty Candela, and me and Patty Candela ended up sort of teaming up to sort of cover Woodstock and we went out there to get geez, I think we traveled together yeah and I mean Johnny me and Patty I was engaged I was engaged okay it was rain it was summer but it was freezing because all mud and all that and it was that green day you're right I was not there though I, I did not the, the they were actually on green day in 94 I guess this was what was just kind of up and coming they were still a yeah, good, they weren't solid band. Yeah. Well, they weren't a main stage band. They were on the side. All of that stuff happened on like, uh, you know, a side stage, not not the main stage. Um, it couldn't have happened on the main stage. But all the mud and all that stuff, that was the real deal. So Patty and I basically spent three days covered in mud. And, um, and it was freezing because it would be raining all day. And then there was just no place to get warm. It was It was kind of like all of that stuff about Woodstock. Like there was really nowhere to go. Our tent was like in some sort of wet field. Uh, the facilities were terrible. It was hard to get, you know, anything, frankly. And I, I we really were there just like all of that Woodstock stuff. And um, it was freezing at night. And you know what? It was beautiful at the same time. So Patty and I just, I mean, it was crazy that we had to sort of survive this. But I had a good buddy. She's still a friend to this day. I love her. I think she's great. Um, and she was my buddy through Woodstock. So I'll, I'll always have good memories, but Johnny, it was one of these situations where it was a fall freezing at night because everything was wet and soaked. So <laughs> Patty and I, you know, it probably wasn't the greatest situation for somebody who was engaged to be huddling up at night with another human being, but I'm telling you, Johnny, you needed warmth at night. You did. <laughs> I'm not lying about that. It was somewhat a sense of survival. It, it probably was the most non-sexual um, uh, uh, body warmth situation you could ever imagine. Uh, but, you know, you have to do what you have to do. It sounds like Woodstock, like all three of them, were just 
a disaster that was covered up by a lot of like happy and well uh i'll tell you this it was the living situation for for patty and myself as we were a little bit of a team there wasn't great but but um the best one of the best concert performances i've ever seen in my life and i've seen a lot of concerts been very lucky the best concert performance i think i've ever seen in my life top to bottom because they did get into the mud and uh, and the vibe of the whole scene was Nine Inch Nails on Saturday night at Woodstock 94. It, it was, I mean, it was mind-blowing. Trent Reznor and his band, um, again, they, they came out covered in mud. And I don't know if anybody wants to go to Woodstock 94 Nine Inch Nails. But, but it was incredible. It really was incredible. Um, so was it worth that to see Nine Inch Nails? And shiver in the dark with Patty Candela. Hell yeah, it was. <laughs> and I saved a pizza buck. I kill you with truth. Pizza Woodstock 94. <laughs>